dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. As anyone who's ever had to manage people can tell you, jealousy is one of the most dangerous passions to rule in the workplace. Where people are jealous, division will ensue and teamwork will corrode. We who are in charge of our teams need to watch for jealousy and war against it. Pope St. Gregory the Great, in his Rule of Shepherds, Book 3, gives us some valuable insights that we can apply as we try to lead our workplace with Christ. All right, so you're all here in order to go deeper, right? We want to teach you as much as we can from the wisdom of the Bible and the wisdom of the Catholic Church that you can apply as managers in your workplace environments. And I just want to, first of all, applaud you for taking the time and for being willing to let the wisdom of the, of the Bible inform you. So many people today want to divide their faith from their workplace. And I just kind of shake my head, honestly, because I say, my goodness, listen, you spend eight hours a day minimum in your workplace. If you put God out of that eight hours a day, you're spending one third of your time without any reference point to God. And we believe anyway, as Christians, that since God became a human person, every part of the human person needs to be touched by his grace. Jesus, I'd like to remind you, became a worker and being in the workplace environment, he was what? He was a tecton, which means a roofer. So he would have been putting the heavy beam and framework of roofing sub-support sub, uh, on houses. So he would have been involved with the other trades. There would have been stonemasons involved. There would have been carpenters involved in terms of the structure of the walls. There would have been the owners involved, the transactions involved. I mean, you can imagine all the different, different trades that Christ was familiar with and that he would have had to interact with on a daily basis. I just find that so refreshing to think about. I refine it. If you look at the size of Nazareth at the time of Christ, how many houses do you think that there were there? I mean, yeah, so I would say, okay, let's say suppose there's a hundred. If you want to be generous, you could say there's 200 houses. Okay. Well, if it takes a month to put a roof on a house, or let's suppose it takes two weeks to put a roof on a house, you could do a hundred houses a year. So unless Christ was a very bad roofer, he did all of the roofs possible in Nazareth in a very short amount of time. One, two, three years. Those roofs are going to last 20, 30, 40 years. He would have had to travel to the different towns around him in order to find work. I mean, it's just simple numbers here. Unless he's a very poor roofer and his roofs fall apart within one, two, or three years, in a very short amount of time, he's going to have to expand and journey carrying his tools, going on the road, spending time away from home in order to earn the keep necessary for him to supply for the family. I mean, if you just go back and, and understand those dynamics, you see that Jesus chose to shoulder the same anxieties and the same difficulties and the same discipline of life 
as you and me. The world of work was not foreign to Christ. How did Christ work? How do you work like a son of God? I mean, we've been baptized into Christ, right? We've been baptized into his, into his body. We're the members of his body and we work. Do you think really that is justified to say, my faith has nothing to do with my workplace? I mean, I understand the rules of secular society and I understand that you're limited in the expressions of your faith and that that can even be a good thing because it keeps things peaceful in a pluralistic society to a degree. But if you're not sanctifying your work by your faith, then you're also not bringing the excellence of your life to bear where it's most needed. We need faith to be brought into the workplace by being brought into you. And for you to work in that workplace like a Christian. Well, that means that if you're managing people, what an opportunity you have to help the people on your team to not just get the end goal produced, but to produce the end goal in as human and as therefore sanctified way as possible. To overcome the different ways of toxicity, of negativity, of criticism. I mean, in a very real, real way, you who are managing people, you supplant the bad job that was done by parents because every single person on your team at one point was a kid. And if they haven't learned how to be patient, how to share, how not to be jealous, how not to be envious of others. I mean, if they haven't learned that at home, they're going to take that into the workplace and they're going to be really hard to work with. What an opportunity you have as a manager to look down on them and say, you know what? I am with my team in order to make not only the product and to make it as efficient as possible, but to make it as efficient as possible by building up as healthy a team environment as I possibly can. That's why Christ put me there. That's why I own a company. That's why I have my workforce. That's why I have my direct reports. It's so that by that experience, everyone who comes into contact with me can be led not only to make things, but to be remade themselves. Now, obviously, I can't necessarily do that by expressly speaking of Christ. A lot of you can, though. I mean, a lot of you in small businesses especially, you definitely could talk about Christ. You own the company. <laughs> you can do kind of what you want there, you know, if you let yourself be free. I mean, in your corporate values, why don't you put in your corporate values that our company exists to glorify God? I mean, why are you so afraid if you own the company of leaving the spiritual legacy behind that you want to leave as a Christian? I've worked with companies that have done that, presented to their boards, worked with their management teams to say, this is what we're all about. Now, you don't have to necessarily be a part of it. You can opt in or opt out to the degrees that you want. But we who are owning the company are not going to back down and simply say that we have this company given to us and we aren't going to use it for God when that's what we want to do. Now, many of you don't own companies. Many of you are just managing at different levels, and that's awesome too, because even without proclaiming Christ explicitly, you can bring his influence to bear by the insistence that you have upon the goodness and of the way that you work. We work in our team following the leadership of a Christian manager, and that bearing as a Christian is going to have a huge impact. It'll have a huge impact in the patience you can demonstrate. You have a huge impact also in the way that you approach the question of jealousy. I'm amazed that Pope St. Gregory the Great, 1,500 years ago, 
wrote with such keen insight about the human heart. You'd almost think that in 1,500 years, humanity hasn't changed. <laughs> I know it'd be like the way we live changed, the way we worked changed, to a degree, but the same human dynamics are present there. And when you read his document, you're blown away by the fact, how does this guy know all of this? And how does he give me such great insights? I want especially to focus in today at how you can deal with jealousy and uproot it from the hearts of your team. If we don't, it could kill. But when we get rid of it, our team will flourish. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All right, so go ahead and open up to Pope St. Gregory the Great, Rule of Shepherds, Book 3. We're looking today at his admonition, number 11. Differently to be admonished are the kindly disposed and the envious. All right, so on the one hand, the benevolent, the kindly disposed, those who look and cheer on other people, and then those who are envious or jealous of the success of their teammates. He says, okay, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with it head on because, and he quotes the Bible here. The Bible actually says that, that the devil, through the envy of the devil, death entered into the world. That's the book of wisdom, chapter two, verse 24, that death entered the world through envy. All right. So obviously we're not going to be dramatic about this and talk about things and too dramatic, but I think you can understand like my team will die if I allow the members of my team to become jealous of one another. Now, what does that mean to be jealous of somebody? Jealous of somebody means that I look upon the good of the other as the source of my downfall. So I'm very motivated when I am jealous. Jealousy is one of the negative motivating forces that's the most powerful. It's right up there with fear. If you can get a group of people to be afraid, if you can identify what someone's afraid of, you have almost an unlimited power over that person. You can get them to do just about anything as they run away like a spooked horse that will jump over any log and fight through any stream in order to get away of whatever it is that it's afraid of. So too, your people will do the same. And, and second, in terms of its power, is this power of envy. When someone is envious, in other words, they're put in a survival mode. The good of the other becomes the object of their vehemence. I have to, in other words, undo the other, take away the good that the other has in order to thrive myself. And so, especially in a competitive environment, like a workplace where there's only so many places up and there's only so many raises to be given out. It's kind of like little kids fighting for ice cream at the family table. There's only so much ice cream in that box. And so every bit that goes to somebody else is one less bit that's going to go to me. And so in, in that type of environment, you can understand how the smallest advance or success by a teammate could trigger in the hearts of the others that deadly disposition, that toxic toxicity that can exude called envy. Because then suddenly they're in a position where they need to achieve the same thing or else they'll cease to thrive or survive as a worker. 
And just on the other hand, you've got the, the, the kindly disposed, right? Kind of like the Johnny come lucky guys <laughs> who are just so happy to see everybody else, you know, and they're not necessarily driven to imitate the virtue themselves. There are some people who are such good cheerleaders that they can kind of mask inefficiency. And in the same way, he's, this is what Gregory the Great says. He says, wherefore the kindly disposed should be told that if they make no haste to imitate the good which they applaud, the holiness of virtue pleases them in like manner as the vanity of scenic exhibitions of skill pleases foolish spectators. For these extol with applauses the performances of charioteers and players, yet do not long to be such as they see those whom they praise to be. In other words, there's also a problem of folks who are just constantly building up the team in terms of cheering on, but don't actually try to do anything themselves. Hey, in the end, we need to exhort those who are kindly disposed and everybody's friend as they bring up the party and bring up the team spirit around them to actually get in the arena and do it themselves. Instead of being just eager backers or inert spectators, as he says, uh, they, they need to actually get into the arena and to fight, right? And so on the one hand, you have like those, therefore, that see the achievement of others and just simply applaud it without trying. And those who then see the achievement of others and want to destroy the other so that their own lack of achievement is not noticed. And that, my friends, is the spirit of envy. There are many causes to it. But in the end, remember this, the cause is not the achievement of the other, okay? The and that's the one thing that we do in today's world, don't we? We just kind of say, therefore, everybody wins. Nobody loses. Everybody gets a blue ribbon because we don't want people to be jealous. So we just level the playing field, say that there is no competition, there is no first, second, or third, and that everybody gets the same in order that nobody feel bad. Well, that doesn't make much sense. Because there, in order to keep people from feeling bad, you've actually gotten rid of the whole contest to begin with. And, and so that's not going to motivate your team to excel and innovate. If, they, if there's no actual motivate, motivating force behind it, no. You keep the good out there because, hey, if we can do this, there are perks. If we can do this, there are incentive packages. There are bonuses available for those who are able to do this. That's totally fine because otherwise they're not going to do it. <laughs> Let's just be honest here. We all know nothing, no, nothing incentivizes people more than incentives. And so getting rid of your incentives just so people don't feel bad, that's not really an option there. I mean, we, we're here to, to produce things. We got to get them done. And there are some people that are better than others. And those that are better than others have a greater merit that should be rewarded. This is afterwards a productive environment. But then what is the actual source of the jealousy? It's going to lie in the heart of the person who gets jealous. The problem, in other words, is not the, what the jealous person aims at and it, which is necessarily the advancement of another person over them or in place of them the real problem is how they react towards that why in other words will the jealous person see that the only way for them to look good is if no one else looks better can't they look for their own advancement what is it that's causing them to become so despondent or so discouraged about their own goodness if, as we're managing jealous people, we have to remember to build up each one in their own right. St. Gregory the Great uses the analogy here of the, of the mystical body of Christ, right? 
Uh, he, he says, For indeed all are constituted together as many members in one body, which are indeed diverse as to their office, but in mutually agreeing with each other are made one. Whence it comes to pass that the foot sees by the eye, and the eyes walk by the feet, that the hearing of the ear or ears serves the mouth, and the tongue of the mouth concurs with the ears for their benefit, that the belly supports the hand, and the hand works for the belly. In other words, hey, everybody is different. Everybody's got different gifts. The goal here is not to just be the best in, the, in one way or the other. It's to be the best person you can be. And so looking to know each member of my team as they are excellent and encourage them towards that excellent and incentivize that particular excellence of each one. It's a great way to teach each one to be that valuable, irreplaceable member of the team that they are. And not think that there's only one that indeed wins the day. I think this is a great moment for us as managers to become more creative in our incentivization. Because we'll incentivize all kinds of things in terms of efficiency. But we're only getting one type of skill set then out of our team. And while, of course, that's very important, especially depending on the type of industry that you're in. But aren't there other things? Like what about an incentivization around the person who encourages the most or the person who serves the others the most or the, or the, the person that gets the greatest amount of gel together on the team and creates that team spirit necessary? Aren't there other things that are valuable, just as valuable as producing whatever kind of thing we're supposed to make? Of course there are. Well, are we incentivizing those as well? I mean, we can fight jealousy in other words, by showing the unique ways of many members on the team to make the teamwork the goal, even more so the goal than the product. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. So let's remember, we've been put into our leadership positions in our families, in our businesses, because God has a special role for us as leaders to play. In a very real way, we're confronting the world of sin with his grace. We're on the front cutting edge, front line of that transformation of the world through the grace of Christ by working with the hearts of his saints and in the workplace, his saints look like our workers. They look like the people that we manage. And we owe it to them to be the agents of God in that place. So how is it that I can overcome jealousy when it arises? How can I teach people to overcome that? Well, here's a real fundamental insight that Pope St. Gregory the Great gives in his book, The Rule of Shepherds, book three. He actually goes on to say that when it comes to jealousy, the fundamental learning point is this. Another person's success is my success. We are bound together in a team such that the success of the one redounds to the many. And, and the, the link there is, of course, in terms of the church, charity. In terms of charity, we are all one body such that everyone builds the other one up. It's not quite the same in the workforce because that bond of charity is really a different kind of thing. But even in the workplace environment, why is it that we act as if it's an exclusive winner and a loser environment? 
Too much competition, in other words, can be detrimental. The right amount of competition can be extremely beneficial, but too much can be detrimental. If we work really as a team and in that environment, then everyone's success actually helps me. I'm pleased to work with someone more intelligent to me than me because that person more intelligent than me can teach me. And I'd be pleased to work with someone more virtuous than me because that more virtuous person than me can actually help me to grow in virtue. The real secret is to try to help the members of your team to give to one another, pairing them up, encouraging that timeshare where their talents can be spread abroad so you really form that unit that is going to go and win the war by waging it successfully. I know it's hard. And sometimes in middle management, especially you're not given the tools that you need to really make that happen. You can to the best of your ability. But I think that in the end, we got to remember that culture starts from the top down. It's formed from the top down. And so I wonder if in your hearts, you're actually exhibiting all of the antidotes, the jealousy that you're hoping to find in your team. I mean, are you giving them an example in your own life of this joyful encouragement of one another and in the exaltation of the end goal overall? This, I think, is a real important point because it speaks to approaching work more from the point of view of the mission than from the point of view of the profit. And obviously, this has a lot to do with leadership and sometimes you can't do a lot with it. But to the degree that you can, your leadership will be magnified to the degree that you can bring the transcendent values of the company and the deep reason for what you are doing together to bear in the individual and concrete moments of your existence. Uh, This is just a, a thing that we can do, a tool that we need to leverage. What we're all about here in the end of things is to serve the human family by producing this great product or rendering this amazing service. And if we look at the customers, not as consumers to be used, but as people to be served by us, then a human value pervades the workplace that allows us to go beyond the the purely competitive forces that can drive people into jealousies and therefore into toxicity and overcome them by a real sense of the value of our work as something greater. And this starts from the top down. Do you approach your workplace every day with that greater attitude, the positivity of someone who's there at their, at their desk because God put them there and the positivity of someone who's so convinced of the value of the company that they're willing to spend all of this time every day doing it. Or are you motivated more properly by your paycheck? it'll, It'll be demonstrated in the way that you work. And by the way that we work, we can in fact imbibe a culture into our workplace environment of that same attitude. This is what I think our Lord is expecting of us. When he called his 12 apostles, he called men who were from the place of work in the world of work. Matthew, of course, the tax collector, But Peter the fisherman, John the fisherman, Andrew the fisherman, James the fisherman. We know of their professions because we're actually told about it. St. Luke the physician, St. Paul the tent maker, 
It's kind of amazing, you know, in the, in the small talk amongst the, the various figures of the Bible, they would have said, hey, what do you do? And we would have all known. We said, oh, St. Luke, you're a physician. I understand, you know. <laughs> and St. Say, Paul, you're a tent maker because he's going to say this. Aquila and Priscilla, they owned a tent making company. Uh, uh, Lydia was a dealer of purple cloth. The Bible doesn't hold back the professions of the people who are in them. And neither should we. Why should we hold our professions as if it wasn't something that's a part and parcel of what we are? And when God sanctifies us, he wants us to also be in the workplace environment to be sanctified. And this is a special word that I have for all those who are struggling with envy. It's a terrible thing. And it's actually the same type of spirit that attacked Cain and Abel, right? Because uh, Cain killed Abel in the end because he was jealous of them, of him. Envy is the rottenness of the bones, says Proverbs. The soundness of heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. That's Proverbs 14.30. Meaning that it strikes deep at who we are. And when you have that envy going and that jealousy going, you, you know it. You, you feel sick to, to who you are because your very bones are shaken within you, right? It's like a pestilence towards what is good in others. And if you're not strong against it, it can turn into a real toxic uh, thing that we just do not want to see happen. So what do you do? Turn to Christ. The solution in the end for that jealousy is for you to let the love of Christ be your number one rock. If you put your value in anything else and the opinions of others over you, then you'll see the achievement to be one as the sole arbiter of whether or not you are good. But it is not the sole arbiter of your goodness. The one who judges your goodness is the one who loved you and died for you on the cross. That insecurity that drives you to, to look down on the success of others because it's not immediately your own is an insecurity that can be healed by faith in Christ. Come to Jesus. Go to confession. Allow the, the love of Christ to come into your heart again. When you know Christ from the inside, you have a surer foundation than any worldly success could ever give. Jesus' love for you is steadfast. It is eternal. It does not end, and it is infinite. And that's the real thing that gives value to our life, to be one with God and to know his love. And so, yes, after that, we can work, and we can work for all kinds of success, but our success will be a hymn of praise and gratitude to the God who's gifted us instead of a replacement of that God by looking for something else. Trust in God, let him love you, and his love will be the rock and your salvation. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.